Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we encourage you to love well and lead well. I'm your host, Jason Day, and this is a great week because we get to hear from Louis Giglio. Louis is pastor of Passion City Church and the founder of the Passion Movement. Beginning in 1997, Passion has gathered collegiate-age young people in events across the U.S. and around the world. And most recently, Passion 2017 gathered more than 55,000 students in Atlanta's Georgia Dome in one of the largest collegiate gatherings in its history. Louis has been pouring into people and pointing them to God's beauty and glory for decades. He's written several books, including his latest national bestseller, Goliath Must Fall. On this week's podcast, Louie and I discuss some of the giants that we face in our lives, especially as pastors and ministry leaders. Louie shares how we can best navigate those times when we take risks for God and things do not turn out as we hoped, including his personal story of stepping out in faith only to see what he thought he was stepping into fall apart. He also provides some powerful insight into how we can overcome one of the greatest obstacles to effective ministry, the comparison trap. I know you'll appreciate Louis' encouragement to church leaders, so let's dive right into my conversation with Louis Giglio. Louis, it's so great to have you with us again on the Church Leaders Podcast. Thank you for being with us. Thanks, Jason. It's always great to be with you. Now, we'd love to be encouraged by your wisdom. You've experienced a lot over the years as a ministry leader. You've recently released a new book entitled Goliath Must Fall, Winning the Battle Against Your Giants. And I have to tell you, brother— This book is, I think, a tremendous resource for pastors and ministry leaders. It's personally powerful, right? It speaks into many of the things that we face regularly as church leaders, but I also see it as a powerful resource as we're discipling others, right, and journeying through life alongside those that God has entrusted to us. So I'm excited to really get into some of the content of this book, but before we do, let's talk a bit about the title itself. Goliath Must Fall. So you, yeah. sh- you shared that you wrestled a little bit with the title. You went through a couple couple different ideas, and yet you decided upon Goliath Must Fall. Can you can you kind of talk a little bit through that with us? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a weird thing. We had a lot of feedback. We did this as a message series at Passion City about three summers ago, and even in the message series, I got a lot of people telling me, you know, the title's a little bit maybe off. Maybe we know that Goliath already has fallen, so that's not a big revelation, and so it should be Goliath has fallen or Goliath will fall, but the must is an important word for us because there's a big theological idea in this book. There are a lot of big theological ideas in the book, but one of them is that our freedom and God's glory are woven together. They're inextricably linked together, and I just hope everyone listening today maybe nodded along or kind of had a little internal or external amen, even at that phrase, Jason, that that our freedom and God's glory are inextricably linked together. A gospel that only preaches to people, hey, this is what God wants to do for you. This is how God wants to work in your life. This is the benefits of Christianity for you personally that doesn't have a larger arc that says, and here's how that impacts God's reputation on planet Earth. Here's how that links in together with God's glory among all the peoples on earth, how what your coworkers or your neighbors or your family members think about God is uh, selling people less than what the gospel message really is all about. And that's why I think uh, 
a church or ministry built on a platform of six or seven ways that this helps you or four ways that that helps you ultimately is not going to lead people to the fullness of experiencing everything God has for them. So we believe that what David believed, when David ran into the valley of Elah, David was motivated not by his own personal safety, but he was motivated by the, the fame and the name, the reputation of God. He said, you come against me with what, a javelin and a spear. Okay, that's pretty intense. But I come against you in the name of the Lord of the God of the armies of Israel, which you have defied. And so that's why the must is in the title, Goliath must fall. So we're struggling with rejection or anger or addiction or fear, worry. It's not just God's message to say, wow, I want to take care of that in your life so that you can live free. It's not, I want you to live free, but I want you to live free so that the world can see that your God is a giant slaying God, that your God is a freeing God. And so ultimately the world will look not at you and your freedom, but will look at me, the God who brings freedom to man. And so it's imperative for us. It's not just a suggestion, hey, you should think about the things that have their foot on your neck today. It's like, no, you, you need to rise up because God's glory and his reputation are at stake in your life. And that's why your Goliath, whatever it is, must emphasis on that word fall. That's awesome. And I, I love the, the fact that, you know, throughout this book, although it addresses a lot of these giants that we face in life, this book is not, you know, simply a, a self-help book. And, and I love the fact that that just kind of reverberates throughout from beginning to end. And um, as you were talking about this idea of that our freedom and God's glory are, are tied together and, and that God can do these amazing things within us, um, but ultimately it's for God's glory. I know that you, you wrote in the book, it's kind of toward the end of the book, but you said something along these lines that one of the great concerns of the modern Christian is to make everything about us, right? So we get into this. You know, it's, it's kind of a self-help type thing, as you were just kind of talking about there. A question I have for you is, have we as the church helped kind of fuel this idea that is kind of about us in some way? Well, absolutely we have. I mean, I know I do. Um, I struggle every day as a human being with a sin nature. <clears throat> and when I say that, I'm redeemed and in Christ and a brand new creation in Christ. I'm a new person in him. I'm a saint and not a sinner but I still have uh, the DNA of fallen man flowing through my veins absolutely today. And that you know, causes us to make bad decisions. It causes us to have myopia. It causes us to do a lot of crazy things. But ultimately what it does is it causes us to make life about ourselves. And I have that tendency. I think we all do. And if we're not careful, we will build a ministry model around that tendency mm. And even looking back in the past, you know, when, when I was growing up, it was so easy to think that all of this was about me. In fact, that the Bible was about me, uh, meaning, and I, I hope people understand what I mean when I say this, the Bible was good because it had some great verses that I highlighted because those are the ones that encouraged me about what God was going to do in my life. In fact, if you didn't have time to read the whole Bible, when I was growing up, we had God's promises. And they came in little bitty, easy to uh, access versions, uh, tiny little leather bound God's promises books, where all the promises of God's word were excerpted for us, yeah. put in a convenient resource. So you don't really need to mess with the rest of it. Let's just get right to God's promises. But hello, newsflash, the Bible isn't about me. Mm. 
The Bible is the story of God. From beginning to end, it's the story of God. It lifts up the work, the person of God, through his son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for the glory of God. In the beginning, God. Uh, at the end, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Now, I'm in that story, praise God. And my life is shaped, transformed, helped, informed, and empowered by that story, the Word of God. But it's not about me. I thought church was about me. You would hear people leave church and say, well, I didn't like that so much today, or that really didn't do much for me today, or I don't like it when so-and-so speaks, or I prefer when she leads the worship rather than when he leads the worship. I didn't get much out of that. That's Listen, we don't come to church to get stuff out of it primarily. We come to church and gathers the people of God to put something into it. It says, uh, enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Right. So uh, we bring a sacrifice of praise into the, into the house of the Lord. What are you bringing into worship, not just what did you get out of it? And if you come with that attitude, you're going to leave with a transformed life. Doesn't matter what church you attended, if they're opening the living word, lifting up the person of Jesus, moving in the power of the Spirit, you're going to be changed by that. The gospel was all about me. Jesus died for me. The cross was all about me. Heaven is all about me. Jesus is going to build a house for me. Everything's about me, but the revelation of my life, and I think that the change agent that really blew everything apart for me was when I came to realize that life is not about me. Life is about Jesus. Mm. It's to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be all the glory, all the honor, all the power, all the dominion forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And I'm in that story. I'm loved by God. I'm a son of God. I get to be a part of the amazing things God's doing on planet Earth, but it's definitely not about me. And I think that we easily make church about us because we are— we are of that same persuasion, but that doesn't help people ultimately. It may attract people in the short term, right. but it doesn't transform people in the long term. Yeah, that's solid. Now, now, Louis, let me pick your brain a little bit. Um, in talking to pastors and ministry leaders, how can we help our people kind of move beyond this consumer-oriented mindset when it comes to Jesus? Well, that's a great question. You know, I think sometimes people would say, and they have said directly to me, you know, what is the big deal? You know, why do you have to make everything about the glory of God? Isn't it simply God loves us because he loves us and we love each other and we all just move forward in that. But here's the reality. When your daughter dies on the kitchen counter a few days before Christmas because of an asthma attack, as happened to my pastor friend, Levi Lesko. You need a theological grid, which is bigger than God loves us. You need to have something whereby you can move forward in life with confidence in a situation like that. And God does love us, but and we are the apple of his eye. And he does he did pursue us and he he came for us, restored us, redeemed us, called us sons and daughters. But you need more than that, living through the storms of this life. And so that's A, people need a bigger theological net, if you will, to hold the brokenness of a world like we live in, to find purpose in, in the highs and the lows of life, in life and in death. Uh, but secondly, I, I try to help people see that life is brief. Life is short. God is big. Life is short. God is big. Life is short. God is big. We, we have, at best, a five-second opportunity on planet Earth. If a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day, 
then we, we don't have long on this earth. And we have a little, it's, I, I, I try to help people see that by taking a box of, a little box of matches out, striking a match, letting it roar into flame, steady out in that flame. But within a few seconds, you're shaking because it's come down the match stick to burn the tip of your fingers. And soon you're holding a little bitty wooden charred ember of what was a roaring flame. And that's my life. That's your life. That's everybody's life on planet Earth. So how do we make sure that little roaring five-second flame lasts? Mm. Well, we do that when we join that little flame into an eternal flame. And we know that what we did in the five seconds or the eight seconds that we had on planet Earth actually folded into the unending fame and story of Jesus. And therefore, our flame joining into his flame becomes an eternal flame. And without that, all of us waste away short opportunity of life. There is no, this is not a rehearsal. This is our life. This is today. You don't get another one. And what we do with it matters. And a life story that's all about me and what I can do and what I can get and what I think and what I experience is going to leave us with a little charred wooden stick at the end of the day. And I don't think people ultimately are going to be happy with that when they step into uh, eternity. Yeah, that's good now. Louis, one of the things that really jumped out to me in your book was your discussion around faith and comfort. And I think this this kind of uh, just tags on to what you were just sharing. We live in a society that loves the idea of comfort, right? And, you know, at certain stages in our lives and careers, we tend to feel that we deserve certain comforts. Or maybe we think, hey, if God was really in this, it wouldn't be so challenging. It wouldn't be this uncomfortable. Why is it that comfort is such an issue for us, and how do we best tackle it? Well, I think that, A, I want to you know, make sure we all understand that we live on a beautiful planet. God made this world phenomenal, and I don't think he really minds us enjoying a beautiful sunset. Shelly and I were sitting on the West Coast a few days ago, uh, literally above the crashing waves of the Pacific Ocean, watching the sun go down in a glorious ending to a perfect day, sharing a wonderful meal together. And I don't think Jesus was at that table saying, oh, come on, guys, you you can't really enjoy that sunset. You really don't want to get those seared scallops. You really don't want to have a robust conversation tonight. So I think that sometimes people can maybe take this to the extreme. I think God wants us to enjoy life. Uh, for the most part, live indoors, uh, advance with technology. But the problem comes when we substitute in our lives good things for God's things. And all of us have a tendency to stop short of asking the question, God, but what do you want, especially if the outcome is a good thing? Because certainly if it's good, that must be God's will for my life. But Jesus didn't always operate in that grid. Jesus didn't look at the last week of his life and say, wow, that's not a good week by any measure. I'm going to ride on a donkey. Are you kidding me? I mean, can we not at least get like a horse? Uh, I'm going to go into town and be betrayed by my best friends. I'm going to be sold out by a guy that I've invested in for three years. My, my leadership team's not even going to be intact at the end of the day. I'm going to get beat up, spit on, insulted. I'm going to get ripped apart and nailed to a cross and forsaken by God the Father. He's going to turn his back on me in the darkness of my dying moments. That's not a good week. Therefore, I'm not going to choose that week. 
But he chose that week. Why? Because that was God's week for his life. And it was God's week for my life. Praise God. Mm. And so I think when we, we mistakenly mismatch the good for God's, then we have a tendency to always settle down. And, you know, what's wrong with having a nice family and a white picket fence and the American dream? It's all good. It's all very good is what people say. It's not bad. I'm not doing anything bad. But God's calling a lot of people, even while we're on this podcast right now, to do some things that are not easy, that are going to require great sacrifice, that are going to cause them possibly to lose life and limb, and to leave those they love and go to the farthest part of the planet to share the gospel with people who don't know about Jesus. And their friends are going to look at them and say, man, you've lost your mind. Uh, you you got to be kidding me. But they're going to say, look, you're settling for what's good, and that's between you and God. I'm going for what is God's. And in doing that, I want to make my life count for what matters most. And so I think all of us just have to periodically do a little check and uh, ask God some simple questions. Are you happy with the way we've got things going here? <laughs> are you happy with the status quo of life? Or are you, are you calling us to something different? Do you want us to take a step, take a risk, um, do something that maybe in the world's eyes doesn't add up? We just had a, a Sunday at Passion City Church. We call it Above and Beyond Sunday. It's a really kind of backwards thing because we don't have a financial goal. We don't always have a and here's why we're giving. It's just a day every year where the people at our church give above and beyond what we normally give so that we can go beyond where we normally go as a church. We give above what we normally give so we can go beyond where we normally go. And it's a sacrifice. This isn't your tithe. It's not your weekly giving. This is above that. And people step up and they pray and they seek God and they hear from God and then they give and they give sacrificially and they give um, with tears and with trembling, because this is, I'm trusting God with this decision. And I think that is a reflection of the cross and the grace of God, the story we all live in. And so here's the bottom line. Sorry for the long answer, but we celebrate a gospel which required a man to give everything he had in the utmost sacrifice while we sit in the comfort of our own decisions to lead good, happy, and safe in normal lives. And those two things do not resonate ultimately. And so I think just to keep pointing to Jesus and preaching the gospel is going to help us break out of comfortable lives to actually do the kinds of things that matter on planet Earth. I'm reading a book on um, Elon Musk right now. Mm -hmm. And this guy, you know, is a crazy man. <laughs> and uh, he's going to be the first person probably to get us into space uh, outside of, you know, space agency, governmental agency. He's created this ridiculously amazing uh, electric car. He's created Solar City, which is going to change, I think, uh, maybe the landscape of America in the next 30 years. And those are just a few of the things that he's working on. And I, as I read about him, I think this guy is celebrated in the media. He's a champion of technology. He's, uh, people are fascinated by him. And, and a lot of people want to drive a Tesla, talking about comfort. I, I wouldn't mind having one. Man, that's a comfortable ride. Um, <laughs> But at the same time, this guy's a risk taker. He's almost lost it all. He's rolled the dice. He's sacrificed. He's paid the price. And we celebrate that in culture, in life, in sports, in business, and entertainment. And then as Christians, we want to live these insulated lives where we don't ever have to take a chance and trust God with the outcome of our lives. Wow, that's powerful. 
And I, I think one of the things also that plays into that idea of comfort is in regard to how our faith is stretched. Our <clears throat> faith is rarely stretched when life is comfortable, yeah, right. right? Yeah. Um, so it's that discomfort is where we grow in our faith and in trusting God. What do you say to to people who who wrestle with the fact, and maybe even pastors they're listening today, who say, you know what, I have I have taken some of those risks and I have put myself in uncomfortable positions. And in some way I thought that in doing that there would be kind of everything would work out in the end, but things haven't worked out the way that I had hoped or thought that they might. And I still feel I'm I'm living in the midst of discomfort. How do you speak into into that experience? Well, I think it's a beautiful question because, Jason, you know, the reality is um, we can talk a big game, but then some family decides we're going to move, you know, to Toledo, become a part of this new church plant. We're going to leave a lot of things, sacrifice a lot of things. Then they get there and it kind of blows up, goes sideways. Their kids freak out. Uh, School system didn't pan out right. Uh, there's a lot of hardship, and there isn't really a payoff at the end of that decision. And we, a lot of us live in that all the time. You mm-hmm. know, I, I made a decision uh, about 20 years ago to leave a pretty thriving campus ministry in Waco, Texas, to come to Atlanta, Georgia, to help take care of my dad, who'd been disabled a few years earlier because of a brain virus. And my mom had become primary caretaker. My dad had... Uh, didn't work, didn't drive, didn't eat, didn't dress himself. And my mom needed help. And I'd been trying to ask the Lord, I'd been asking the Lord, let me come help her for years. Finally, at the end of 1994, God released Shelly and me from that ministry to come to Atlanta. And we just thought in normal thinking, well, that means we'll leave at the end of the school year in May, which we did. But the very week we left our ministry at Baylor was the week my dad died of a heart attack here in Atlanta. And here we were, we in no man's land, we left the ministry to come to a calling, but now we're in the middle of neither. There's no more calling, and we've gone, uh, we're gone from the ministry. And I have to say, you know, there was a few months there where it was the foggiest, most frustrating season for me. I wasn't mad at God, but I certainly was mad. Mm. And uh, and I was disappointed that I got it wrong somehow, that I missed it all. But in the middle of that time, uh, a vision came to me one day, uh, flying on a plane to go speak at an event in Dallas, Texas. And that vision ended up being Passion Conferences, which just celebrated our 20th anniversary at the Georgia Dome a few months back here in Atlanta. And I still don't know why my dad got disabled. I still don't know why he went through seven years of the pain, the hardship. I don't know why my family had to walk through seven years of of that. Um, That took so many years off my mom's life. She, not too long after, went to heaven. I don't understand a lot of all of why that happened. I just know that out of all of that came the calling that launched Shelly and myself and our team onto a 20-year arc of talking about the very things we're talking about with millions of 18 to 25 year olds around the world. So faith thrives. This is what we say in Goliath must fall. Faith thrives in holy discomfort, not just in discomfort, but in that God birth discomfort. And it's in that moment that we, we our, our lives are open. I, I may have not heard that calling if I was still planted firmly in the soil of campus ministry at Baylor University. I think it took God 
taking my root ball completely out of Baylor University, bringing me into a period of uncertainty, into the unknown, so that then he could speak to me in a moment that he absolutely had my attention. So that my answer wasn't, well, God, if we did that, we would have to change this. I was like, I got no job. Uh, we, we have no purpose. <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. So yes is the answer to this calling that you put in our lives. And Moses you know, wasn't quick to say that I'll go to Pharaoh, but that was more about his own view of himself. He certainly wasn't stumbling over the great opportunity that was before him leading his father-in-law sheep on the backside of nowhere. So God puts us in uncertainty so that he can lead us into his purposes and plans sometimes. And if somebody is stuck in that middle and they're like, this isn't what I thought and, uh, and it hasn't worked out the way I thought. I always say, and it, you know, it sounds like a card. I think it is a card you can buy at the <laughs> store. Uh, but they say that everything will work out in the end. And I believe that's true of every pastor leader listening to us today. And so if it hasn't worked out yet, then it's not the end. And so hang on, there's a day coming when you're going to understand that that step of obedience to Toledo, that act of sacrifice that didn't look like it panned out, is going to somehow weave itself into God's grand story. And when the end comes, the real end, the end hasn't come yet, everything, every step, every act, every obedience, every sacrifice, it's all going to make sense in the end. And so if it doesn't make sense yet, hang on. Uh, the end isn't here. Amen. I love that word of encouragement. It's excellent. As you were working through uh, your book, Goliath Must Fall, you address a lot of these Goliaths that rise up in our lives. And and as I was thinking about pastors, I think one of the Goliaths that many pastors and church leaders struggle with is in the area of comparison, right? There's always some preacher, some pastor, yeah. some leader better <clears throat> than, than me. What suggestions do you have for pastors as they face this particular giant? Whew, man, that, you know, that's a loaded question because uh, maybe a lot of pastors watching, you know, are struggling just with the fact that they know about the church across the street or what there's more cars in the parking lot at the church that they passed on their way to church than ended up in, in their parking lot when they got there. But obviously social media has killed us mm. and it's absolutely sucked the life out of, a lot of our vision, and we have to take an aggressive, I believe, approach. And that approach uh, is a few things. It's to understand your calling. And a lot of guys, I don't maybe are in ministry, but they didn't they didn't have a calling. They just ended up in a job, or their friend knew somebody, or you know they're out in Kansas City now because a friend of a friend of a friend, and it worked out. Listen, that isn't going to cut it. There mm -hmm. has to be in our heart a burning sense of calling. This is the field, the lane, the opportunity, the moment that God has put me in. And I'm focused on that moment. I'm not focused on the next moment or my advancement or, or how I can use this moment to you know, parlay that into another opportunity somewhere else in life. I have a passion for this town. For these people and maybe XYZ ministry has 40 campuses around the world and you know everybody knows their name and here I am stuck over here in this one town of 2,500 people but listen if God gave you that town and called you to that purpose then you wake up in the morning and you're not that concerned about the 40 churches this other guy's got a steward you're looking at the 2,500 people in your town saying dear Jesus by the power of your spirit please bring an awakening to my town. I want to plow in this field today, work in this lane today. And so it's about calling. 
It's about knowing who you are and what God has given you to do. Jesus said to some, he gave a few talents. One, he gave a few more. Another, he gave a few more. God is in charge of stewardship. We are in charge of faithfulness. Mm-hmm. And so where did God put you? Who are you? And if you, if you, if he's given you a, you know, a 20 horsepower lawnmower, then mow like crazy with that. And, and don't aspire to have the stand up, you know, 50 horsepower riding lawnmower or a John Deere tractor. Do with with what you've got and what God has given you, what you can in the power of the Spirit today. And let God be in charge of your stewardship and your influence in another season of life. So I think that's key. But I think the other thing is that we have to take a really big, active role in cheering for other people. And if we don't take that role, we, I think the routes are cynicism, comparison, and criticism, or cheering, supporting, and encouraging. I don't know if there's any other roads. And so if you're not on the cheering, supporting, and encouraging road, then your flesh is going to get you, and you're going to be on the cynical, critical road. And uh, this happened recently, and I hope I don't uh, upset the apple cart. But all the media last week was about a pastor in Houston, Texas, Mm -hmm. because their church didn't open their doors to storm victims in Hurricane Harvey. Well, I wasn't there, so I don't know what happened exactly, and I don't know anybody's motives, and I don't know how high the water was, and I can't report on that. And you say, well, I do, because I heard it on on AOL, my main (laughs) page, or I saw it on Fox News, or I read about it in Breitbart. Well, I'm here to tell you one more time about... 50% 50% of what we read in the media isn't accurate. So if that's where you got your story, you don't have the whole story. Now, if you were there, you've got the whole story. I don't have the whole story. I just know that's all I heard day after day after day after day. This guy, this church, they're losers. They're trying to avoid helping people. And so two things were going on. Number one, my friends like Curtis Jones at Bayou City Fellowship, Greg Mott at Houston's First Baptist Church were out in the streets, neck deep. Our board member, Mark Kohler, uh, our board member, Tom Mosley, these guys were in the streets. Our family lives in Houston. I know the neighborhoods of Houston. I've lived and worked in Houston. People, the church is rallying. The church is coming to the aid of people, as is uh, many, many other organizations. And so that's the story. But all we get is this headline about this one guy, because everybody knows this guy. And so in in the flesh, I think every pastor could kind of go, yeah, why didn't you open your doors? Or yeah, why didn't you do something? Or yeah, y'all have a big church and you have a different lifestyle or this or that or the other. I, after a couple of days, just picked up my phone and texted that person because I happen to know them. And said, hey, I just want you to know I love you. I want you to know I'm for you. I want you to know I believe in you. I want you to know that I'm praying for you. You are a game changer. You are an encourager of people. You've spent your entire life lifting up people whose lives have been destroyed. Your whole life's message is about rebuilding hope and rebuilding life. And so I just want you to know, Shelly and I love you. We are behind you and we are for you. And And then the next time I was in a conversation and somebody brought it up, I said, well, were you there? Do you know what happened exactly? I tweeted a tweet to try to support them. I got a few hammers back from it, from people who don't like different things about them. But listen, here's the thing. In the body of Christ, you don't have to agree with every single thing about everybody. But if your brothers and sisters are following Jesus and trying to make an impact in the world, celebrate them. 
encourage them. Write them a note. Stop by and tell the pastor at the street, at the church down the street with more cars in his parking lot, hey, I just want to tell you something. That's pretty amazing. I notice every week your parking lot is full. That's incredible. Way to go. Keep going. It made me pray for you again today, and I want to bless you, and I want to encourage you, and then tell your church that you're praying for them. And I think this is the way that we guard our heart. It's not just about creating a false narrative and I'm, I'm faking my way through encouraging people. It's protecting my heart from cynicism and criticism. And I'm telling you, you know what, Jason, I can be the most cynical person in two minutes and I can be the most critical person in two minutes and I hate it. And the way that I fight against it is by celebrating and that's the joy. And I know it's been a long sermon and Please forgive me for that. But that's the good of social media. At the same time that it makes you feel defeated and deflated and like, man, I'm not going anywhere and all these other ministries are doing this and that and the other, or I can't focus on what I'm doing because now I want to do what they're doing. The best thing about it is that it gives you a public platform to the world to champion other people, other people's ministries, what God's doing in other people's lives that protects your heart so that you can Stay in that calling that God's given you, that specific calling he's given you. Be who you are. Run in your lane. Cheer for other people. And if we do that, I think we're all going to make it. I love that. I love that Love that idea of kind of turning that comparison into, one, reaffirming your personal calling, how God's uh, leading you, and two, turning that comparison into this idea of, of celebrating others. <clears throat> I think that's powerful, brother. Thank you for that. Um, I, th- I think those listening will, will take a lot from that and be encouraged. Now, Louis, I would guess that if we were to ask pastors across the country if they struggle with addiction, the vast majority would say no, right? Uh, yet you, in, in this book, Life Must Fall, you address addiction as, as much more than just what we might consider the quote-unquote big addictions like alcohol, pornography, drugs, those types of things. Can you help us better understand this idea of addiction, and why is it more prevalent in our lives than we might think? Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to ask all the people listening if they struggle, you know, in that in any of those areas, because I think if we had a, you know, like a private and secure forum, we'd probably get a, a lot of a lot of interesting answers. But I, I do think one of the things we're trying to say in Goliath must fall, and it's been interesting about the book. Um, at large, people have said, I don't have any giants, but I bought this for my brother because he's got some giants. Or I obviously am not struggling with any giants, but I got this for my neighbor because he's got a big giant. And then people started reading the book and they were like, oh my gosh, I have giants. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah, we, we all have uh, giants in our lives. And I think it's being honest about that. And addiction, you know, comes in the alcohol addiction, drug addiction, you know, big, big addictions. But addiction really is when our heart needs something other than Jesus, then, then we're addicted to something. And for pastors, man, you could name all the good things that we're addicted to. I'm addicted to work, mm. a lot of pastors. I'm addicted to the rush that I get from ministry and helping people, a lot of pastors. I'm addicted to the approval I get when I preach a good sermon on Sunday or have a good idea in a meeting. A whole bunch of pastors would say, yep, I'm addicted to that. I'm addicted to Twitter and social media and seeing how many likes I get and how much good feedback I get to the good things that I'm doing. 
in life. I'm addicted to power. A lot of pastors are leading churches like, you know, General Patton roaring through the desert. They, they, they've got this addiction to, I'm the man, or I'm the woman, or I'm in charge, or I run this ship, or I'm the captain of this ship, and they're addicted to the power they got. Now, they, they may have a church of 218 people, but they're the captain of that ship, and they act as if they're, they're running, you know, the free world. And so there are a lot of little things. And then you put all the bad things in the list, uh, the obvious bad things, like just being, um, you know, addicted to the approval of others. And this is one of the things I talk about in the book. I think, you know, everybody knows I had a big <clears throat> anxiety slash depression crash a few years ago. And I think as I was writing Goliath Must Fall, I was able to look further back at what happened and understand it a little bit better and to ask the question, what was making me anxious in those days? And I think it was two things. One, I was addicted to control and probably still am to some degree struggling against that today. Not not bad control. I don't want to be a dictator, but I, I see how I want to shape things. And people like that, and even moms who have kids and they want their kids to make the right decision, they can fall into this trap of uh, the giant of control. I want to I want to shape every outcome of every life around me. But I had control going on, but I also had this idea that people were going to like everything I did and were going to celebrate every decision I made and that even the close people walking on this journey called Passion City Church were going to applaud everything I thought we needed to do. But I, I woke up one day and realized that that wasn't the way it was going to be. And so my need for approval from people and my desire to control things, which when you're a pastor, you don't have control hardly of anything. I mean, none of us have control of anything except our attitude and the way we respond to the things that happen in our life. And so control and approval, they tag team together. And I think those were two of the big reasons why I crashed. And so I've had to learn how to relinquish control. And I've had to learn how to live in the sense that you know, I have to trust in the wisdom of people around me, but I have to be rooted in the approval of God. And so there are a lot of things that answer that question, Jason, that pastors, I think, are absolutely addicted to. And I think every pastor listening has some kind of an addiction. But I was reading this morning uh, from the Psalms, who, who have I in heaven but you? And on earth, there's nothing that I desire besides you. For even if my heart and my flesh, they fail God is the strength of my life, and he is my portion forever, Psalm 73. And so that's where I've got to stay, and I think staying in that zone creates a new addiction, and the new addiction is for God. The new addiction is for the air of his grace, uh, the realization of his person and presence in my life, and, and a glimpse of him that awakens my heart in wonder all over again today. And that's what I want to be addicted to, because we're all going to be addicted to something. We were created as dependent creatures by an independent God. We were created as needy people by a God who wanted to supply all our needs according to his righteousness in Christ Jesus. And so we have in us a predisposition towards addiction. I want that addiction to be the person of God, the wonder of who he is, the grace of God, and his person and presence in my life. Amen, Louis. It's beautiful stuff, brother. 
Man, I, I just want to thank you again for being with us on the podcast and, and just the encouragement. Just you have such a generous spirit. We so appreciate that. And and really I want to encourage everyone to to grab a copy of Goliath Must Fall. Um, it's again, as I said in in the beginning, it's one of those that I think is personally powerful for us as ministry leaders to read, but then also what a resource it is as we are um as we're discipling others and, and living life with others. So again, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for this awesome book and uh, just for your life and your ministry. And, and I just really appreciate all that you, all that you've done for, for the church brother. Thank you so much, Jason. And it uh, always is a privilege to be on with you and just want to encourage everybody as well that there is a six week uh, study guide with a DVD teaching and a companion study guide material for Goliath must fall. And a lot of churches are starting into that this fall. And we're hearing a lot of great things, and so it could be a resource for anybody listening to us today. I hope you'll take advantage of that. And just praying uh, blessing on you. Thanks for the time today. Grateful to be on with you. Awesome, brother. I appreciate it. God bless you, my friend. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Every week, as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church of Leaders podcast, and if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they can benefit uh, from these interviews as well. And again, we thank you in advance. If you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.